Welcome to the Awake Asia podcast. This podcast is about crossing cultures and borders to share stories about everyday people doing extraordinary things. Each episode, we bring to you thought leaders from the region and the rest of the world to share knowledge, inspiration, and stories of triumph to help you live a fitter, healthier, more purpose-driven, conscious lifestyle. In this episode, I'm joined with Rick Schnabel. Rick is one of Australia's leading transformational coaches. He's the founder of Life Beyond Limits and is best known for being the brain untrainer. Rick is a businessman, a leader, a coach, and mentor. Rick has been a great friend of mine over the past decade or so. More than that, he has been instrumental in paving the path for me to becoming the man that I am today to him being my life and business coach. Thank you very much, Rick. I appreciate your friendship, buddy. In this episode, we dive deep into what being awake means, learning to face your truth, how values and beliefs drive our action or inaction, and why we are the way we are because of them. We also chat about the dire state the world is in today and what we collectively need to do to evolve before it is too late. Beyond that, we chat about relationships, why they fail, and if you are with someone, what you can do to build a lasting one. If you've lost a spark with your partner, this episode may be for you. How to be awake in your relationships, life, and leaving a legacy, all in today's episode. On to our conversation. You know, I mean, it's the very first time that I've ever heard people like Sir David Attenborough and others who have actually said, you know, the future of humanity, big question mark. Um, you know, that they actually are now thinking that, you know, that there could be an end of humanity. Whereas, you know, 10 years, even five years ago, no one ever said that. You know, they, they actually thought the only way that we, you know, could go by our, would be by our own hand, you know, by a third world war and all that sort of stuff. But now there are many people saying that because of the way that we've treated the planet, you know, uh, we global warming is real. It's absolutely confirmed. Mm -hmm. um, oh, there's a great guy. Um, his name's going to come to me in a moment. Jeremy Rifkin. Jeremy Rifkin. I'll put that talk of Jeremy Rifkin in the show notes because I would love to watch it. And what's this talk about? He starts talking about the fact that, you know, the way that we're thinking is so different to the way that we need to be thinking. And he talks about the fact that our hierarchical uh, frameworks within our companies is not healthy and doesn't really project us into the future. Um, into the future, <clears throat> we're going to get to a point where many, many things will be free. And, uh, and we can see that emerging already, you know, where once upon a time, like when I first learned to do what I have come to understand in coaching and NLP, I had to spend about 30 odd thousand dollars. I mean, you can do the same thing now for, you know, about a third of that price, uh, sometimes even less even if you less. do it online. If you, if you go to Udemy, you can do it for $16.99. That's right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, you know, so things are going to get much, much cheaper. But also there, 
is more of a sharing community than a competition community. Um, so even some of the vernacular that we're going to wake up about are things like words like competition and winning and, you know, and be the best and all those sorts of things. Those, those sorts of frames are quickly disappearing, um, not as fast as we'd like to see them disappear, of course. But uh, it's a fantastic, fantastic, fantastic piece that Jeremy shares. But the thing about it is it's one of those uh, things that you watch that you've almost got to have a pen because he drops so many great um, mind-shifting type concepts that your mind's still shifting as he's saying them so you're not hearing the next thing. And uh, so it's something you might want to watch two or three times. So, for example, mind-shifting concepts, maybe name one. He was talking about uh, working with, um, you know, the, the, the Prime Minister of Germany. And, uh, and, and this is what Jeremy Rifkin does quite often. He works with presidents, prime ministers around the world. And he was asked, uh, is Germany um, set for the future? And he said, no, you're not, because your entire economic system is all geared towards the you know the industrial revolution and which was the second revolution and it, it's not appropriate to where the future is going and so you know it, it's concepts like that that are so big and wide that when you hear them you think what does that really mean you know uh, what are the elements of the industrial revolution and and how do we need to think differently but when we start applying this to what you and I know about spiral dynamics, you know, Dr. Claire Graves. Yeah, I think for, uh, for those that aren't aware of what spiral dynamics is, I actually tried to do some research and tr to try to find a book on spiral dynamics. I couldn't really find much content on it. Maybe, maybe you could share it with me. Yeah. We chatted about it many years ago, and I find that whole concept very, very fascinating and how we kind of rise through each level maybe you could give a, a little bit of an overview of what spiral dynamics is and how it applies to our current way we're living yeah okay well actually i'll, I'll even do better than that i'll, I'll give you the links to uh, i know it's a paid program but i'll give you two of the videos that are in that paid program from our master's program you know which explains a lot about spiral dynamics but essentially for those listening, Spiral Dynamics uh, was done by Dr. Claire Graves, uh, who essentially uh, essentially um, was a little bit like Jim, Jeremy Rifkin in that he consulted or still consults with governments. And the idea there is that he talks about when, for example, when America wants to do business with Australia, they have to understand how Australia thinks. And Australia is a levels four country which is very much like the UK, which is also a level four country, which is very much about systems and doing the right thing. So there's structure, there's systems and so forth. And where America is materialism and America is very much geared towards making money at all costs. Um, whereas Australia has the tall poppy syndrome, which is a levels four concept, that the moment you start making money or become more successful than the rest, then of course we cut off the tall poppy um, because we don't like seeing people rise above their station, as they say in Australia. 
Um, so the, the spiral levels basically is a uh, insight into how populations value certain things. So if we look at levels one, which is called survival, levels one, they value life and survival. They don't value anything else. Like if you think of prehistoric um, humankind, that's survival. But then, of course, what happens is working on your own isn't good enough. You need to rise up to the next level. So we then develop levels two, which is now tribal. So if you imagine a whole bunch of cavemen together, um, they all come together. Now, the moment you get a tribe, typically you're going to look for a leader. So instead of just valuing survival, now they value strength. And they, they start looking at who is the strongest, but also who is the wisest, who's the smartest person in the tribe. So that's how survival formed. And uh, many of our early, 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 early uh, elements of our heritage came from survivalist type thinking where leadership came out, came about. And then from that, what happened is then we moved to level three. Uh, level three is called aggression. And uh, level three essentially is the sort of person, uh, and it's usually an individual, it's the sort of person that will want to basically make sure that they are acknowledged for being the best. Um, so when you start looking at the military, it's very level three. When you start looking at, uh, you know, people like Chopper Reed, for example, was very level three. Um, it's all about them because what they value is they value winning at all costs. Levels four is now creating systems. And the reason that we have systems and we value systems is because we want to make sure that we don't get the renegades like the Chopper Reeds, the Jesse James and the you know, Al Capones. So we create systems, which is all about building prison systems, court systems, legal systems, um, you know, tax systems and all these sorts of systems. And uh, most Western countries around the world are at least at a levels four because they have infrastructure. Um, whereas some countries like Indonesia, for example, don't have as many as much infrastructure, um, although they do have court systems, legal systems, etc. They're still a bit level three. They're not really levels four yet. But America... Um, they are more at levels five, and they're a levels five country, which is more about materialism. America is an interesting one, though, because there's also there's a very huge polarity. Yes, there is as well. Yes, because there's one divide where they are obviously having that materialism, but there's also the other side which is against what's actually happening. Oh, it? absolutely! But any particular level will create a polarity. Um, you know, for example, the moment you get incredible wealth, you equally get incredible poverty. And, you know, the moment you get people who are very much about winning at all costs, you get another group of people that say, well, wait a minute, you know, what about the impacts of the environment? What about the impacts uh, here and there? So you'll always get polarities. Brilliant. Definitely. I want to want to get into it because that's something that I've always at the back of my mind. Um thought about the Claire Graves and, and I just think there's so much truth in yeah. there. So speaking of truth, I don't I don't I guess we go way back, Rick. I we mean do. you've literally seen me from the womb. <laughs> almost. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs>
<laughs> yeah, we did get back away. It's incredible. And I still think back about the time um, when you were my coach and you were my life coach and I had a lot of unaddressed issues and I was sweeping so much of my life under the carpet. And I re still remember this particular session that we had where um, it was actually with my ex-partner. Um, I won't go into the whole story. I think I actually shared a blog post on it. But you asked me, um, do you love her? Do you love your partner? Do you love, do you love this person? And when you said that, I couldn't say <laughs> I did. But that scared me because yeah. at the same time, I, I think it scared me in the sense that I didn't want to own up to my truth. So with that in mind, why is it so hard for people to really face the truth and own up and just be real? Well, that really actually comes very much into spiral dynamics. You know, spiral dynamics is all about values, of course. And within ourselves, we also have values. So um, what I like about what you've, how you've preframed that is because you've taken it from a very personal experience. And of course, I was your coach back then, but I'm still, you know, um, in, conf in confidence with everything that we shared there. So I'm not exactly sure how much you want me to share here. That's okay. Are you, are you okay? Okay. Are you, okay. I'm an open book. I mean, I've got nothing to hide. And, you know, I think the past is, I'm not proud of my past, but the past has shaped the person that I am today. And in a way, I, I've taken ownership of it. And, and it's really been that cocoon that I was stuck stuck in through the struggle that I've experienced. It helped me kind of break out of it and become the person that I am today. So by all means, okay, go ahead. Cool. Well, um, folks, the thing is that normally, you know, when you when you coach someone, everything is 100% confidential. So you never kind of share any of this sort of stuff publicly. Well, I certainly can't as the coach, that's for sure. You know, of course, Luke can share whatever he likes. Um, Okay, so the, the thing was that what was going on at that time, it was really a conflict of values. And, you know, you, you certainly wanted to experience love. Um, you certainly, but you also wanted to experience success. And, you know, the, your partner at that particular time had a level of success. And uh, by you, just by mere association, you were also connected to that success. But the conflict was really in the context of love. You really didn't love her. And had you proceeded with that relationship, you would have discovered the values conflict further in your life. You would have all of a sudden gone, oh, my God, I've married the wrong person. You know, what do I do now? Uh, if I if I divorce her, I lose success. I lose, you know, all of that. So quite often what happens for most of us is um, one really big clue in helping us to move forward is to really know what's important to us, to really know what our actual values are. And actually, this goes really, really deeply. I'll, I'll aim to uh, explain it simply. Uh, I've personally been doing a huge amount of work on with my coach on, on what we call aspects and uh, as a result, well, you know, just to give you a little bit of background, uh, of course, you know this, Luke, that I came from a very poor family. And so when I was born into the world, you know, I literally looked at myself and asked myself, you know, what have I really got as an asset? 
And, you know, I wasn't super strong. I wasn't super smart. I wasn't super good looking. I was so not super at all. In fact, I had nothing of real value other than being able to draw. <laughs> you know, I was good at drawing. I was good at being creative. And that was really my only asset. So what we do as people, if we value something, what happens is we can build a persona. So we can build you know, a complex identity that allows us to kind of move through the world and gain some success that, you know, with our normal identity, our regular identity, it would never even get close. So we build this persona and this persona might just get us there. It might actually have us achieve at a certain level. But as, you know, false or fake masks personas usually do they end up falling apart eventually or they don't no longer serve us anymore so what i certainly discovered is that you know the the thing that i wanted more than air was wealth i wanted to be wealthy i wanted to know what it was like you know to have you know that mercedes that big house that holiday house you know all those toys and things and so a lot of my life I worked, I worked harder than most, I worked longer than most, and of course I came upon NLP. And when I learned NLP, I went from almost being bankrupt and losing everything and being down to my last $27 to becoming a millionaire. And so the NLP tools were fantastic because they really helped me to build a persona to build aspects of myself that normally wouldn't get me there. Um, now, at this part of my life, um, I think about my life and I think, well, you know, is that useful anymore? And what I said to myself was, no, actually, no, I, I really don't care about money anymore. It's not that I disrespect it. It's just I don't, I don't uh, grasp for it. I don't struggle for it. I don't work my ass off for it anymore. Um, because I've realized that the thing that I care about more than anything is I actually care about humanity. You know, I care about where we're going. And I asked myself a very deep question one particular evening when I thought to myself, you know, this is back in the days when, you know, I drove prestige cars and wore gold watches and, you know, snazzy suits and things like that. And I asked myself the question, is this success? And the answer to that was, yes, it is for some people. Uh, probably, yes, it is for many people. But I thought there's a whole lot of people out there that I really care for that will probably never get to this point in their lives. And because they're going to have to sacrifice something, they're going to have to sacrifice their time with family, or they're going to have to sacrifice their family altogether, full stop, or they're going to have to sacrifice the way that they think, or perhaps even the way that they really are. And I thought to myself, I do not want this message out there. I'm sick and tired of all those people who are flaunting their prestige cars, their houses, their money, their you know incredible power and wealth. And flaunting it in front of everyone and simply saying, you can have this too, but you've got to think like me. And so I deeply thought about that. And I thought, I do not want to say that ever again in my life. Um, you know, we're, we're about to do our very last master's training in June. 
And uh, I am doing for the very, very, very last time how to make your first million dollars. Um, after this time, I'm never going to talk about it again. I'm never going to do a training about it again. And the, and the reason for this is because I just don't think it's the right message for the, the wider world. You know, I think many of us have forgotten about our families. Many of us have forgotten about, you know, those who are very dear and close to us that, that you know, are, are the most important people on the planet, our partners. And, and I think to be responsible, you know, in a green way, I think we've got to think about how much we use, how much we produce, uh, how much waste we leave behind. And so my thinking has changed enormously in that I think it, I've really found me in all of this. And that is that I really do care about people, but I care more about the future of people. And, and I think we have to be very, very responsible about how much we consume. And we can't just simply go out there making, you know, mega millions and at, at the sacrifice of the environment, at the sacrifice of waste, at the sacrifice of refuse, you know. And, and I think we've got to become far more responsible. So, therefore... I've decided that I don't want to talk about wealth anymore. Um, I don't want another prestige car. Um, I, I don't want a, a, another Armani suit or, and I'm sorry to, you know, snub a brand and I'm not intending to do that. You know, it, it's great if people want that. Um, but, you know, I, I, I want a simpler life and, and I think I want people to find success more easily. And more responsibly, I guess. Speaking of success, what is your definition of success now? I think my definition of success, I think, has always been there, but I really know it now uh, much more intimately. And my definition of success is giving something a go and finding out that you can actually do it and do it well. And, and, and that could be anything, you know. Um, like it could be surfing. It could be. It could be surfing. Yeah, absolutely. I love surfing. You know, it, it could be just loving. You know, be successful at actually really loving someone and and showing them that, or you know, be successful at just simply. And, and the way that I look at it is, be successful for leaving something really good behind. You know, leave a really good legacy. Leave something that people will look at after you're gone and say, wow, what a great gift to the world. Um, you know, and, you know, that could be anything. That could be, you know, that could be a, a letter that you wrote, you know, that has some incredible words. That could be, you know, a book that you wrote. It could be a piece of art that you, you know, put together so beautifully. It could be really anything, but something of value, but value to someone or hopefully value to many. I mean, this really brought me back to what you shared with me in the earlier years about the wheel of life. And I find that it's a very, very useful tool for me to calibrate where I'm at. I think the whole wheel of life concept is just really profound because at the end of the day, you want it balanced because it looks at wealth. I guess we, we look at wealth, we look at contribution, we look at 
love, we look at family, we look at relationships, and, and I think that is so important. But the culture that we live in, in social media, Facebooks, you know, where millionaires uh, are these guys that just rent a Lamborghini in the back say, <laughs> you want to be like me? Or this guy, here I am at the back of my swimming pool, you know, you know, living the life. And I guess for someone that's out there that potentially wants to find this new definition of success, what can they do to start drowning out that noise to find their own essence and to be proud of who they are and to focus on the little things? My best answer to this might be... By it's quite a loaded question. It is. It's a great question, though, and it's a very useful question if you think of it in the context of legacy. You know, if, if people really get this and get the value from it, they can keep it forever. Um, the thing that I, I guess would be easiest is if I think about my own circumstance. Um, I, I came from a point in my life where I decided what success was to me. And, uh, you know, as I say, be careful what you wish for. And, and I got it all. I got everything. You know, I got, you know, a, a certain level of fame, I guess. I got a, a level of fortune. I got everything that I wanted. I was a really busy coach. I had, you know, in the finish, I had people, you know, on a wait list, you know, to, to coach with me. Um, very successful training business and blah, blah, blah. And I can remember you know, one particular day out of my life, it all came to a head. And that was that, you know, I got, I woke up at, you know, 5.30 in the morning, you know, I went to my clinic, I started working with my business clients, you know, uh, before nine o'clock. And then after nine o'clock through to about five o'clock, I was working with, you know, the general public helping them get over anxiety, depression, you name it. And then after that, I had more uh, small business owners, you know, coming after the, you know, checking out of the office and working with me. And so sometimes I would work from 7 a.m. in the morning to sometimes even midnight. And there was this one time equally that I would be doing trainings and talks. And I can remember going to the clinic, doing some sessions, racing off into a cab, going off to the airport, flying to Sydney. And just as they were announcing me, I raced in the door and I raced up on stage and I started talking and sharing with the audience. Then the guy who was hosting it, his name was Paul, and I said, you know, sorry, Paul, I've got to go. And he said, great talk, great talk. See you later. Bye, mate. You know, and off I went, jumped <laughs> on a plane, back in, back in the air. And, you know, I woke up and the, uh, the air crew were in front of me. And this, this one lady said, she said, you look so tired and you really need to thank the lady on your left and the man on your right because you were on both of their shoulders for a considerable amount of time. <laughs> and I realised I was so tired. I was working my butt off. And, and I, I decided then and there that this had to stop. And so I changed, remodeled my business, uh, changed things up, but I started building a routine. Like, you know, I have two daughters and, uh, and, and, and one thing that's really important to me is spending time with them. So what I did is I created a structure because that part of my wheel of life was very, very, uh, you know, small, you know, it didn't have a lot of influence. So Sometimes it's not the quantity 
you know, sometimes it's the actual quality. So what I used to do is my job in our family was, you know, my wife would spend a lot of time during the day, you know, looking after the girls and doing things for them. But my special job was at the end of the night when it was time to go to bed, I would lay there on their bed with them and I would read a story. And it turned from that to eventually buying all these puppets. So we had all these heaps of puppets. So everyone would have a puppet and we would make up stories. And my my girls still recall how wonderful those times were that we spent time together. And it was a ritual. It was something we did every single day. Now, equally, if you think about it, our rituals rescue us quite often. And, you know, uh, another ritual is, you know, just I've got this ritual now I, I, I subscribe to. I don't believe everyone should, but I feel good to. I do the 5-2 diet. So two days a week I fast and I find that really useful. That's a ritual. Um, when I do training, when I do live training, uh, I just eat raw. So I just eat raw vegetables. I, you know, I, I look like a chimpanzee with a, a box of, you know, fruits and vegetables. And, and I find that's great for my energy. It's a ritual. Um, you know, the other things that, I, uh, you know, I do is uh, we haven't done it in a while, actually, but we were doing it there for a long time. But I get to see my wife a lot. But back in the days when I didn't see my wife so much, uh, we used to have date night. And the rules of date night was really cool. Um, it had to be secret. So, you know, what you would do is you would say to, I would say to my wife, um, all you have to do is wear comfortable, casual clothes. And, and that's it. And, you know, I can remember we went to see Sting, um, you know, playing in the My Music Bowl. And we're, we're sitting there in, in, a, you know, in the queue, you know, to, to go into the event. And she didn't even know at this point who she was seeing. And all the people around us were going, is she for real? She doesn't know that she's seeing. And I don't say, don't say. <laughs> you know. So it was always, a, it was wonderful. It was like a surprise, you know, that we did for one another. And, you know, one week it was my turn. Next week it was her turn. And uh, we'd constantly be thinking up what is something that we can do for one another that, you know, we, the other person's really going to love. And again, it was, a, it was a ritual. So you could really fulfill your life in so many different ways. You know, there's, I don't subscribe anymore to that success means sacrifice. Um, I really believe that, you know, it, it's all about planning, you know, and, and planning quality. So if you're going to spend time together, make sure that that time has some quality about it. Um, and health doesn't have to be complicated. You know, you certainly know that. I'm preaching the converted here. You know, um, you know, health can be simple, you know. And we have now, um, I set a goal that when I turned 65, my wife and I were going to walk the Camino. And... Uh, What's the Camino? Oh, the Camino is a trail that um, <clears throat> it's it's kind of like a very spiritual uh, trail that runs kind of from France, you know, through to Spain. And, uh, you know, and a lot of uh, monks used to walk it. And so it's, you know, got a lot of spiritual element to it. But, you you know, you do it usually in about 30 days and you walk, I think, about 30 kilometers a day. 
and uh, and you carry everything with you on your backpack. And uh, so, so I said, sounds so special. Yeah, it does. And and I thought, well, if I'm going to do that, then I want to make sure that I'm fit and healthy. So I, I go surfing quite a bit, and I'm I think I'm pretty fit, pretty healthy. But um, there, there isn't surf every day, so it's not a routine that you will do every day. So I wanted to build a routine that I did every day. So we go for a walk as a family uh, for 20 minutes, you know, sometimes usually 30, 45 minutes, but we do it every day, you know, every day at six o'clock, off we go. And it's a good time for the family to defrag, talk about the day and get some exercise, you know. So again, you know, it's not, not a lot, but it's a ritual, you know, it's something we do every day. And what I love about what you said as well is the little things that really make you happy is just connection with your loved ones. Yeah. It all comes back down down to that. And and I think sometimes we discount that, we forget about that in this whole quest for success when the most important things in our lives are the ones that kind of take second place. So with that in mind, I think obviously you've got date night and I have date night with uh, Emily as well um, every now and then. But I understand that some couples may not have that connection. And and I, I, I know I've witnessed couples. I mean, my, my grandparents used to sleep in separate bedrooms. And I know of couples that have been together since they were in high school and just kind of lost that spark and connection, but still are together. So what can you share based on it? I know you've worked with a lot of couples. For me, I'm all about open and honest communication with your loved ones in, in however way it is. But what can you share in terms of your experience working with couples on how to really ignite that spark and reinvigorate the relationship so that things can maybe not be perfect, but be a little bit better than it is? The first thing is actually you, you hit on it perfectly, you know, which was really about starting the conversation. And you also hit on it without knowing that you've hit on it with everything that you're about, Luke, you know, about being awake. And the very first thing that we need to do is we need to be awake because, you know, um, I've done over the years, I've done so much couples coaching. And the thing that I often find is the problem is they weren't awake. One of them typically was not awake for a long period of their relationship. And it's often, I hate to say it, guys, but it's often the guy. You know, the guy values, you know, going out, working, bringing home the bacon, so to speak. We need to change that. Um, you know, and, you know, he goes out, earns the money, and he thinks that he's keeping a roof over the heads and food in the fridge. Now, that's what he thinks he's doing, but she thinks he's not spending any time with me. He's at work all the time. And, you know, quite often I've seen couples who, you know, he'll come out with it. He'll say, yeah, but I put all this food on the fridge, you know, food in the fridge and kept the roof over our heads. And she says, I don't care. I just want you. I don't care if we live in a shack, you know, and hardly have anything to eat. You know, I just want you back. And, and I think that we have to wake up. We really, really have to wake up. And, you know, when I first met uh, Rebecca, my wife, um, one of the things that we had is we were living in an apartment in South Bank in Melbourne, Australia. 
And we, we had, we were really unusual. We actually had a fireplace in our apartment, which was really weird, you know, but, but we were right up the top and, uh, you know, we were in the penthouse so we could have an, a, you know, a chimney and, um, and we used to go out and we used to get things like cheese and sun-dried tomatoes and gherkins and our favorite, you know, little bits and pieces and, we even though we had an apartment, we, we got a picnic rug and we put it out in front of the fireplace, light the fire and sit there and eat and chat. And we used to talk about, you know, what do you really believe in? You know, um, what really gets you angry? You know, uh, what makes what makes you the happiest? And we'd ask questions like that. And, you know, coming from a coaching background, um, you know, I had a whole litany of questions and do share <laughs> i would love to i would love i love a lot of these deep questions okay, cool. because it's 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 very easy to you know okay how's your day <laughs> did you answer the email you know it's very superficial it doesn't really stimulate much conversation or connection so definitely do share but sorry to interrupt you keep going <laughs> no no cool cool cool. the interruptions are good because you're asking extra adjunct questions which are great so um think about this uh, if you're let's say that you're you know uh, shopping or you're at a restaurant or you're thinking food uh, a really good question to ask is questions like imagine if the shopping center or the restaurant was completely empty bar one piece of food or one meal what would be that meal for you and so it's a creative question, but what it does is it gets someone really thinking about what's most important to them. You know, that they will say, oh, uh, I would love this food or I would love, you know, uh, this meal. And so it, it gets them thinking about stuff like that. Now, equally, you could, you could say um, or ask any other questions such as you might say, now, I know a lot of people ask, what is your favorite color? But I want to ask one more question. Why? You know, it's a big one. Oh, yeah. Why is blue your favorite color, for example? And, you know, any question that causes a person to not be able to answer it immediately is usually a good question because it, it, it's actually created engagement. And here's a great one for couples. Um, you know, in the early days of my marriage, um, I remember sitting down with my wife and asking her very, very intimate questions, you know, about sex, for example. You know, what is it that you really like? What is it that you don't like? What is it you'll never do? Um, now, these are questions that obviously a lot of people will never, ever, you know, ask. But it creates a real deep level connection. And, you know, also I, I would ask questions like, you know, tell me what was the best boyfriend you ever had and why was he the best boyfriend you've ever had? And, you know, what you're going to get is you're going to get their values coming out. You know, they'll start talking about what's really, really important to them. And if you really want to create a great con connection in your relationship, then you just simply have to ask yourself, am I willing to go there? You know, am I willing to duplicate, you know, that desire or need? Um, also, uh, uh, Gary Chapman, who wrote The Four Love Languages, 
Oh yeah, I was just about to say that because Emily and I, before we got married, we went for this kind of marriage preparation thing. And, and we actually went through the languages of love and I found that really, really um, profound in that sense because I may think that buying Emily gifts is my way of showing appreciation, but for Emily, it may just be me going up to her to give her a hug. And all these gifts that I'm giving her, you're not appreciating <laughs> yes. it. When all she really wanted was just a hug from yeah. me. And one person may feel underappreciated and the other person may feel like the other one's taking each other for granted. So I think that's the love languages is just a really, really fascinating one. It is. It's so valuable. I mean, one of the things that I know, like my wife is very much acts of service. And so, you know, I can just take out the bin and, you know, she actually calls me taking out the bin man porn. Man porn. <laughs> you just need a, a, a full, like, full centerfold of yeah. a pullout of you taking out the That's trash. That's it. That's it. <laughs> you know, so when, when you work these things out, you go, okay, fantastic, excellent. And, you know, she knows that, you know, I, I'm very kinesthetic. So, you know, I need touch, you know. So, you know, she'll just come up to me you know, every now and then, and she'll just come up and give me a hug for no reason. And so it feels good, you know, it feels good and it really stimulates you. And, you know, I remember years ago I was working with a journalist and he shared a conversation that he had with a friend of his who was a psychologist. And his friend said that in order for us to be healthy, we need to have at least three quality conversations every single day. And, you know, that to me makes a huge amount of sense. Um, and something that I've certainly felt in my life, if I'm working, 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 and I'm not connecting or communicating with someone, then I often will feel that my energy depletes. And the charge will often come back when I'm having a really deep and wonderful conversation with someone. So I, I think in the context of us being a healthy society, I think we do need to even schedule having time with someone, even if it's a short phone call, but creating that opportunity where we can really connect with someone in a, in a deep or, or at least a meaningful way. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. Hence, you know, I, I've where where Emily's concerned, we try and schedule like at least having a date night. And and you know, sometimes for couples, I think even scheduling intimate time together, yeah. because sometimes when you when you don't actually schedule it in, you don't feel like it and you don't look forward to it. And then one person may feel like it and the other person may not feel like it and it it never really happened. So I, I, I'm, I'm a big, big uh, believer of that as well. So I want to just go back to what you were saying about, you know, the dynamics of the man bringing home the bacon or the facon or the kale or the green smoothie. <laughs> that's in, in my world. That's, that's that dynamic. But for me, as, uh, for me, from my experience is that I was on the other side where um, the lack of connection was because my ex was the lawyer my ex was the one earning a lot of money and i was the one that was just kind of living on a shoestring budget in a dead-end job 
And I found that that really affected my confidence and, and my self-worth as a man. Have you actually seen that? And, and how, let's say, if someone was stuck in that position where their wife or their partner is earning more than them and he doesn't feel like the man because he's not bringing home the green smoothie, um, what can they do to feel? It actually happens in both sexes. Um, you know, over the years, I've coached a lot of executives and, and you know, from time to time, I will get, uh, oh, here's a classic case. I, I was coaching an executive um, about five months ago who came to me with anxiety and he asked me, he said, how long is it going to take until we can get rid of my anxiety? And I said, well, you know, it, it can happen in one session. It can happen in 10 you know, so anyway, we we had a coaching program put together for him. As it turned out, we got rid of it in the first session. So he said, you, you're too good at your job, Rick. You know, you, you've already done it. And he said, so what do we do with all these other sessions? And I said, well, you know, is there anyone else in your family that needs some help or, you know, or do you have other things that you want to work on. And as it turned out, no one ever has just one thing. Um, so we did a whole bunch of work. But he also said to me one day, he said, look, my wife's feeling a bit insecure, you know, or no, sorry, he framed it as she's lacking confidence. And so I did some work with her. And a lot of this came up around the fact that he was the guy bringing in all the money. You know, she was a stay-at-home mum, and uh, so it was essentially insecurity that she felt around her own position or and her own contribution into the family. Now, I didn't have to work too hard to help her to really see how important it is to be a mum. And, you know, and I truly believe this. I believe that mothers are probably the most important job on the planet, actually, um, you know, they create the leaders of the future. They train children how to think, how to feel, how to respect other people, how to treat women, how to treat men. And uh, once she got this, once she really got this, the issue, of course, completely dissolved and disappeared. But when we talk about it in context of, you know, uh, in, in your case where you were feeling a bit insecure, um, I think a lot of that essentially comes from the fact that, you know, we know at some level inside of us that we have more to offer the world. And I think it's not just a comparison frame when we're working in couples uh, and one of us is bringing home more money than the other. It can happen, you know, with a single person. And and that is that we all feel within inside of us that we we have something to contribute. It's almost like we're encoded with it to some degree. And if we're not living that life, we can quite often, or we're not on path to living that life, or we're not doing something about living that life, then the thing that's going to erode is our self-esteem, our confidence. Uh, it is very, very important for every single person on the planet to know that they can do something good um or do something well and so it's really really important that we are experiencing that in some area of our life 
And, you know, when our partners, for example, are out there achieving great things, um, because we as people are so judging and, and we compare, it's very difficult for us not to compare. And we will look at our partner and think, you know, they're, you know, they're, they're creating a world, they're being very successful. And then we then look at ourselves and ask the same question. Are we doing anything of value? Are we contributing in a great way? And if the answer is no, then we'll do one of two things. We'll either lose our self-esteem or we'll break off the relationship um, because we cannot tolerate the contrast. And so um, it just really comes down to, you know, um, do something, do just do something, but choose to do that something really well and just keep practicing that something until you can do that something well. And it doesn't really matter what it is. You know, it can be cooking. It can be, can be even cleaning a house. You know, if you really think that you can do it faster or quicker or smoother, there is a certain level of confidence that comes with that. For me, like this is a quote that I, and I was just kind of pondering it after a meditation session and just looking back at my life. And what I wanted to share was you can only get better if you start because a lot of times we want to focus on getting better. We want to focus on it being perfect. For example, this podcast, finding the perfect time to launch it, finding the perfect amount of speakers, finding the right content, and then after a while, I just reached a point where, all right, I'm just going to do it and then see what happens and let it unfold and let it, you know, it's just like Sienna has her Play-Doh and you, you start with a little tub. You don't really know what it, what she can make with it, but until you take it out of the tub and start molding it and it becomes a horse, it becomes a giraffe, it becomes whatever it is, but you just need to kind of take it out of the little tub. I watched this um, TED talk uh, just a short while ago and these are the three questions that in that sense would be a rather of how you would actually live your life. Um, the one question that really sprang to mind was if you were to, if you were going to succeed in whatever you did, what would you do or be? So that's one question. Mm-hmm. And the next question was yeah. if you knew you had had a hundred million dollars in the bank, what would you do or be? And the third question is, if you knew you only had six months left to live, what would you do or be? And thinking about these three questions, I actually, I, you know, the past few days, I've just been trying to journal and actually write these, these three questions and trying to get the answers. But it's just brought a lot of clarity. So with these deep questions in mind, having been, been a coach for, for so many years, what are maybe two other questions that people can ask themselves to reflect and possibly change where they're going or shift or make hard decisions in their life to change where they are, their reality. Actually, three powerful, powerful questions that I think were probably the most powerful questions I've ever been asked uh, came from one of my mentors many years ago, a gentleman that you you know as well, uh, Roger Hamilton. And uh, I was doing entrepreneur business school in Bali, and uh, it was probably close to midnight. Um, we were all still in the room, and we were all very tired after spending a full day of training. And uh, we were asked three questions. 
the first question was, in the last thousand years of your life, how many people were born in order for you to be here? And uh, very complex question. You know, so all of us are there on slide rules and calculators and, you know, trying to work out the answer to that. And uh, the, then the statement came after that, uh, which was, if you're still sitting there trying to work it out, you've missed the point entirely. <laughs> and the second question was, out of all of those people, you know, and some people said there were 500 people born. Some people said 10,000 and so forth. And the numbers were all over the place. And uh, so you were then asked, out of all of those people that were born in order for you to be here, what legacy did any one of them leave? And so instantly has you pondering, of course, your immediate mum and dad and your grandparents and others you know, kind of looking at what did they actually leave? What was a real legacy that they left? And so we had to get in groups and ponder that question. And, of course, many of us, uh, you know, really starting to think very, very deeply. In fact, some of, some of us were being moved to tears in that moment. And uh, then finally, the third question, which I think was the most pertinent and powerful of all, was the question, what legacy will you leave? And, you know, I think that as a question is a question that, you know, I know from that very moment in my life being asked that question, I made a decision then that I would ensure that I would definitely leave a legacy. Um, after that, I wrote my very first book and I've written now another four after that first book, uh, which was what I see as a legacy. Um, we've got all of our programs, all the wisdom that I've learned over the years, we've now put into online programs. So, you know, even when I die, they'll still be there, hopefully. <laughs> um, you know, so I think that questions are powerful and they can really shape your entire life. If you're, if you really ask brilliant and good questions, you can even change a person's belief system. You can even change a person's focus. And uh, I, I think these days too many people come out with statements trying to be clever, but the real clever elements of life are often the questions that you're, you're asked. In terms of legacy, what would you define as leaving a legacy? How would you define that? I think a legacy really is something of value that you've created with your own mind or your own hands um, that wasn't there before. And you now can leave it for other people to enjoy it, be it your direct family or, or the world at large. Um, so, so I can see a legacy as being many, many things. Um, actually, here's an idea. I've put this to a lot of my clients over the years and many of my students. Um, you know how a lot of people love to cook. Um, what I thought is I, I thought, why don't you be the, the start to this? Why don't you work out what is your favorite, favorite recipe that you can cook, take a photo of it, put the recipe down and make it page one 
of a book that you pass through your family and each generation that's born, when they get to cooking age, when they cook meals, they're then asked to contribute to that book. And could you imagine what that would be like if that was done, you know, 100 years ago? You know, that your great-grandmother, your great-great-grandfather and, you know, and, and this, I think, needs to apply to both men and women, you know, and, you know, create a page in a, in a recipe book, you know, or create a page about, you know, just asking very specific questions, you know, what's your favourite colour, what was your greatest moment in life, um, who was your, who was the friend that made you laugh the most and why, um, what was a moment that you were incredibly embarrassed um, and if you ask kind of questions like that and that each member of the family answered those questions, I think you'd have the makings of a really, really great book. And that too could be a legacy. I really, really love that because that's so simple. But at the same time, if you see that, if, for example, the person that made you laugh, what, what makes you happy, just simple questions like that. I wrote it and Sienna wrote it and Sienna's child wrote it and and, and, it, and if it goes down the whole lineage, it's just going to be such an amazing... And you can almost see and sense the era that that the person was in oh. and, and the value and the yes. belief systems that are in. And just like what you were saying about, you know, what's your favorite food in that restaurant? What's that one thing? If, if it's pizza, that could be because mom created this awesome pizza when I was seven years old and she used this ancient technique of making making the tomato sauce or whatever it is and it really speaks so <laughs> yeah. much beyond oh it's just pizza but it talks about the person's emotions the person's history the person's experience the person's beliefs it's it's just so profound and, and i think that is something that i potentially want to want to have a chat with emily about to create something that we can do together as a family and yeah well it's so easy these days to self-publish and, you know, you could create a book, you could print it out yourself and, you know, and just put all the pages together and eventually maybe create a beautiful bound book that you hand on to every member of the family. You kind of answered this question earlier, but um, why do we need to be awake and what does being awake mean to you? This might sound quite extreme, but I believe that if humanity doesn't wake up, there will be no more humanity. And, you know, I, I think about how we're eating, how we're wasting, how we're getting ourselves caught up by our patterns, our addictions, and all these sorts of things that are happening. It's happening because we're not awake. You know, we're, we're not being conscious of the belief systems that are driving us. We're not conscious of the thought patterns that keep creating the same problems in our lives. And we're becoming so narcissistic and so self-focused that the world's going inwards. It's not going outwards. It's not reaching out. It's not connecting. And I think the world really, really, really needs to wake up. And if it doesn't, it might just never wake up ever again. Very, very true. And the way I look at it is Mother Earth has been around for millions and millions of years she can easily do without humanity she can easily just scrub us off that's right and we're just the next mass extinction <laughs> yeah. and and i think yeah global warming that's and right. the issues with the way we're consuming 
really, it's not about Mother Earth. It's not really the Earth as we know it. It's a, it's us. Yeah. It's our own existence. You know, we want to save the planet. It's more right. saving ourselves. Yeah, we've got to be honest, I think. You know, we've got to stop denying, you know, certain things. Like uh, we started talking earlier about Jeremy Rifkin. And he says, look, the first thing we have to become aware of is that global warming is a fact. Let's stop talking about it as being yeah, a myth not or debate over it. it is a fact, you know, uh, and he said there are many scientists that have fully documented it. It is clear. It is evident. Stop the political rubbish, <laughs> you know, and, you know, it's people like that that I think are really, really important, you know, in getting out there and making people awake. Um, you know, like some of the things that we see, you know, some of the drugs we're taking that we shouldn't be, you know, some of the foods we're ingesting that, you know, shouldn't even be class classified as foods. <laughs> yeah. You know, if it's if it's not alive, it's probably not really food. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and that's probably about 70 to 80 percent of what we see in the supermarket. And that's why they say if you want to be healthy, shop on the, the perimeters. I discovered that the whole supermarkets are built psychologically so that when you go, you know how you always wondered, why do you get the fruit and veg first? You know, when it's going to squash, yep, yep. get squashed in the trolley. But the reason for that is because what happens is psychologically is we pick up our fruits and vegetables and in our minds, we're saying, I'm good. Look how good I am. Look how good I am. Look how good I am. Because the next style now is I've been so good. So now I can be bad, 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 bad. So it actually, they found that having the fruits and vegetables at first makes people buy more crap. That's absolutely fascinating. It's almost like, all right, I've done my good bit. I've done my angel bit. Now I can just really release, unleash yeah. that beast. That's right. That's it. Yeah. But if I ever find where the source of that is, I'll remember and I'll send that through to you. Thank you very much, Rick. Uh, thank you for your time. I mean, we, we went so Welcome, so deep. And, and I think thank you for paving the way for me. I keep saying this, but I can't say it enough because you were the one that kind of cleared the weeds for me. You kind of cleared the grass for me and said, hey, you know, there's this little patch here that you can kind of go, you know? And and I did. And, and fast yeah. forward to, I, I think it's been almost a decade now, I would say. Probably almost a probably, decade and, and just to look at where I was before gaffing tape on the ground as, as an AV technician to where I am right now hosting my podcast, interviewing you. Oh my goodness. How, how funny. Yeah. How yeah. funny. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Hey, but uh, I've got to say, um, I'm really proud of you, dude. Uh, I'm, I'm so proud of you and everything that you're doing and getting out there. And it's fantastic. It's like, remember when I said, you know, I want to move out of NLP because it's yeah. just going a little bit yeah. too narcissistic, you know, well, you know, you're the absolute contrast to that, you know, like everything that you learn, you're now putting it out there, you're helping lots and lots of people, which is friggin' awesome. And, and just like you as well, yeah. I mean, the value that you bring to the world, the value that you've brought to my life and the people around you, I think it's just incredible. And, and I guess for me, I, I look forward to us banding together on the same level and 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 really changing perceptions values beliefs and the way people live and be because i think we we need a shift in our consciousness we need the shift in our being um 
And I think there's enough in this world for, for everyone. Absolutely. I hope you enjoyed my chat with Rick today. Thank you for tuning in once again. I really appreciate you taking the time out to listen to this episode. But more importantly, take the first step to learning and living a more purpose-driven life. If you'd like more information on what was shared on this episode, visit awakemethod.com slash podcast. Beyond that, if you think any of your friends or loved ones could benefit from listening to this episode, do share it with them. Until the next one, live once, eat plants. Bye. Oh, 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 oh,